Please join me in prayer. Our good and our holy God, we are grateful for the word that we read together this morning. We thank you for the truth of your scripture. Now as we come to it together, God, we ask you humbly yet boldly for eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts that are tender that would receive your word as a seed planted in rich, fertile soil. Give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. God, make our hands strong that our work in this world would be as your very own. Lord, we pray that a word of life and witness would be found on our lips. Lord, this is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, Amen and Amen. Friends, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm humbled to pick up and join in this great theme. I may steal this sermon series. It's just so beautiful and so wonderful. Friends, God has some wild and wonderful notions. Among those, the idea that all of this belongs to Him. And that by creation and redemption, you belong to Him. What gives God the right to think this way? Well, it should be pretty obvious. God is God, and we are not. This truth is actually wonderful and liberating. It's good for us. It's a wonderful gift in our life. It's a freeing truth. It frees us from the shackles and the the cell of an ever-increasing prison of self. Imagine a small fledgling bird that's fallen from a tree. You go and you scoop up that bird and you hold it as tightly as you can until you snuff the very life out of it. The hard truth is that we often are that fledgling bird. And by grasping and drawing to ourselves, we're snuffing the very life out of our souls. This is a symptom of our spiritual sickness. Years ago, A.W. Tozier, the salty old preacher, said it like this. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature it is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of our old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could do. They are the verbal symptoms of a deep disease. A young professor of religion asked an old crusty preacher, do you believe in the doctrine of depravity? He said, son, I not only believe in it, I've seen it. I've seen it. That was supposed to be funny. I've got to wake up. Come on, Oklahoma, get it together. (laughs) It's a symptom of our brokenness that we grasp and we claw, but God comes in the midst of all this to set us free and to put us back together again and to take us someplace. I love the language of Paul in Galatians chapter 3. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you, get this, belong to Christ 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Friends, if you have named the name of Christ, if you have come up dripping wet to breathe new life into your lungs and new life into your spirit, proclaiming through that watery grave the aliveness in your life because of the mercy of Jesus, then you are not your own. You are His. And you are His together. I love how Jamie Smith says it. He says, conversion is joining the caravan. The caravan to a home that we've never been to. The caravan that will be revealed by the day of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it said of the resurrection, Christ first, then when He comes, those who belong to Him. We as the possessions of Jesus, the people of Christ, we are in a caravan journeying toward that day. That is our hope. And so the question that's before us now in the middle of Oklahoma on an overcast morning in an ordinary week after your Sooners beat my bears (laughs) is how do we live together on the way? The passage of Scripture that we just read, and I'll read it again to underscore it, gives us the answer to that question. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Let's say that together. But encouraging one another. Y'all did that about the way you laugh. You need more caffeine, Wade. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Very quickly this morning, I offer three things that we must do as people together on the way. First, we must gather. Not giving up, meeting together. Now this is so patently obvious, it has missed many of us. Pastor and New Testament professor Robbie Waddell said this. He says, The greatest challenging to developing biblical community is that we are trying to build first century community on a 21st century timetable. I'm busy, but let's try to get together later. A few years ago, I was fishing in Galveston, West Galveston Bay with my friend Marcus Brooks. We had little, little children at the time. We were talking about this concept of quality time. A lot of our friends use it uh, pretty profoundly. And we were genuinely questioning this concept. How do, you, how do you equate time and make it quality? Is it the cost of the ticket? Is it that it, it, that it sparks envy in their friends? What makes time quality time? And we recognized we had no right. We had no right to say our time with our children was quality They were the ones that got to vote on that. What we had the responsibility to do was to spend an awful lot of time of unhurried attention with our kids and allow life to provide those moments, sometimes those serendipitous moments where the sharing of life made something special and made something quality. Jim Hedrick was a counselor and a professor of counseling. He said that kids spell, spell love, T-I-M-E. And everybody else does 
as well. Friends, we just got to get together and keep getting together. We've got to gather and keep gathering. We have to share our lives together because we've been commanded by Scripture to do it and because it is food for the journey. We must get together. Guy Clark is one of my favorite Texas songwriters. Years ago, he wrote a song called Stuff That Works. How about that for poetry? I mean, he talked about old blue shirts that he, that he loved, his old pickup truck. And in that song, he talked about a friend. He says, I got a pretty good friend who's seen me at my worst. He can't tell if I'm a blessing or a curse. But he always shows up when the chips are down. That's the kind of stuff I like to be around. I like the line, he can't tell if I'm a blessing or a curse. Are you a friend like that? Let me ask you a question. How many of you had this kind of experiences in church that make you believe without the shadow of a doubt that Christ is real and alive? All right, that's good. How many of you had the kind of experience in church you'd like to wash your hands of it all and walk away? Oh, my Lord, it's the same people. Yeah, this stuff is messy, but it's real. And real Christian fellowship and life together, even when we're not so sure if we're blessings or curses, shows up. Shows up when the chips are down. And may I put a fine point on this? The chips are down. And we need Christ and we need one another the Spirit of Christ that is within us, we must gather. Number two, as we gather, we must encourage one another to spur one another to good works and to love. Recently, I got a text message from one of my good friends. His name is Martin Starr. He's a young local dentist. The text message went like this. Not 100% sure... But I said a prayer for you today for encouragement. You've been on my mind all week. Love you, buddy. And that was it. I got that message as I was preparing this sermon. He wasn't sure why. Maybe it was just because I needed a good sermon illustration. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's pretty easy. You don't have to be a mystic. You don't have to be a late-night table television preacher. Oh, you're suffering from lobago. You don't, you don't have to have a special in. To understand that the people in your life need encouragement. Write that down as a given. And then encourage liberally. It doesn't cost you anything. And it's good for all of us. You see, Martin Starr became my friend the first day I became the pastor of the church before I even knew who I was. Because there was an old man named Red Covington who went to him on my very first day. And he said, Martin, he said, I'm too old to be this man's friend, but every pastor needs a friend, and you're going to be that friend. Don't talk to him about church unless he brings it up. He gave him the rules. <laughs> you know where Red Covington got that notion? From Martin Starr's grandfather, Ed Martin, who on the first day of Peter McLeod's pastor at First Baptist Church, Waco, went to him and said, Peter, I'm too old to be this man's friend. But every pastor needs a friend. And you're going to be his friend. And here's the rules of engagement. Show up. 
encourage each other. I love film. Do you like movies? I mean the really good ones. You know, like Citizen Kane and, and, and Dr. Zhivago and Smokey and the Bandit. I mean, I, I love it. You, you remember that scene at the end of Smokey and the Bandit? And don't act smug, you know you remember that scene. And at, at the very end where Burt Reynolds, God rest his soul, where Burt Reynolds is, is, is coming into Atlanta. You've seen it. You woke up to laugh at that one. Uh, <laughs> Where Burt Reynolds is rolling into Atlanta and, and, the, and the Georgia Highway Patrol, you've never seen it, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> the Georgia Highway Patrol, Atlanta PD about to get him. And he gets on the CB radio to Jerry Reed and he says, I'm, we're not going to make it. And he said it pretty salty. He said, we're not going to make it. And Jerry Reed responded with two Hebrew words. He said, negatory, negatory. <laughs> he said, we've been this far and we're going to make it, and we're going to make it together. Every church needs a few people in the midst that have the courage and the winsomeness and the grit to say in the face of challenges, negatory, negatory. Pull out your Montblanc pen and write that word down. You've never heard it before. But it's holy and it'll preach. We've got to show up, and we've got to encourage one another. And lastly, and I'm cutting a bunch of stuff out today because you'll leave me in five minutes. I've read this room. <laughs> Winfred Moore wasn't the only preacher that could play poker. Um, lastly, we must hope. I mean verbal hope. He said, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess all the more as we see the day approaching. Woody Guthrie said, all a human being is anyway is a hoping machine. Everybody you meet is a hoping machine. Dale Moody said that hope hovers above the very heart of the Christian faith. Hope is what we're about. Because his hope was placed in our marrow through the spirit of the resurrected Christ. All the more as you see the day approaching. I brought my prophecy charts with me today. I'm going to string them up across the baptistry and tell you how it's going to work out. No, I hadn't figured all that out. But I do believe in the day. And I do believe in hope. And I do believe in time. And I do believe as Christians our hope is built in time. And I believe that the resurrection of Jesus matters for the moment and also for the future. I believe that our hope is prolectic and prospective. It is at work and it is coming. We sang majesty. To, to, we heard it played. Jack Hayford wrote that beautiful hymn. He was asked one time, do you believe we're in the last days? He says, it's the last day for you. He said, time is short for all of us. It's precious and it's short and there's an accounting to be made and Christ wins ultimately in the end. And the, the power of the resurrection is at work in the present and fully one day we will experience His reign without the blunting forces of our shame and our sin and our brokenness and it'll be precious. And that hope we are called to profess together we talk about professions of faith. We ought to make, make regular uh, announcements of professions of hope. We are to come together encouraging each other through the profession of hope.
And this hope, this hope gives us both encouragement, it gives us pause. It brings us peace, and it stirs us. It stirs us as we recognize, as we gather together, there are those that are not among us. Men and women for whom Christ gave His life. And God has entrusted us to bear witness. There are two horizons, Ella said. A near and a far. The near horizon calls us to see those people in this earth, far from God, that God is drawing near and has elected to use us to share His love and His grace? Are they in your mind's eye? Are they heavy in your hearts? And a vision to see the ultimate hope of the reign of Christ. You see, we're not like Camus, Sisyphus, rolling the stone to the top of the hill only to see it roll down and finding some type of existential meaning in that. That's dumb. We're marching to Zion. And we're marching together by God. So we should come together and profess hope and love each other as we've been loved by Jesus and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Let's pray.